I always think like training sessions aren't fitness tests. I think you, it's important to remember that, that sometimes it just isn't there and that's okay. You know, you might intend to run at a certain pace and on that particular day, the pace isn't there. So you go off the effort um, and kind of on the day effort. And I, and I think I use that quite a lot in racing. So I sort of say, well, I hope it's there. And if it's not there, then what's the effort? And you got to kind of just go off that relative effort. Um, and that's certainly one of the principles we use in training quite a lot. So we'll have a pace we'd like to hit. And if we don't hit it, sure, the effort's important. Mm. Uh, and staying within that sort of effort zone is, is really important. And the more marathons you run, the more you realize that's a tool that you can use in all conditions and all marathons, really. That, my friend, was Kevin Seawood. And this is the Inspiration Runners Podcast. Hey, everyone. Hope all is on track. My name is Robbie Marsh, and I'm your host. So welcome to the podcast. We have a superb episode for you this week with Northern Ireland's fastest marathoner of all time, Kevin Seawood, who a couple of weeks ago ran the second fastest marathon time for an Irish man with an outstanding time of 2 hours, 10 minutes, and 9 seconds. Just beating Paul Pollock's valiant effort back in December, I think his was 2 hours, 10 minutes, and 25 seconds. Hopefully I haven't misquoted that. It's a really exciting time. We are seeing a lot start to come together on the build-up for Tokyo, but with another six months to go, anything could happen. I'm out of action after spraining the ankle over the weekend on a flat piece of road, sod's law, so it looks like I'll be out for the next six months, meaning Lavarado is out for this season. The coronavirus is cancelling races all over the place, so hopefully it'll settle soon so that people can cash in on their hard training. Before we start, I'd just like to give a shout out to our main sponsors, We Run Wild Northern Ireland, who had a fabulous event on the weekend with the first part of their Castle to Castle trilogy. Their next race is on the 9th of May, which is the Causeway Coast Ultra, with the choice of a 50k or 100km distance. I am absolutely gutted I'm not able to toe the line of this event. Running really is a gift, so if you have the choice, why not challenge yourself to this self-sufficient event where you just get to run? I don't want to delay you any further because we're a bit late getting this one out. So it's with great pleasure I give you Kevin Seawood. So Tokyo Marathon was on today. Were you watching that at all? Yeah, I, I, I caught up with a bit of it. I didn't get to see as huge amounts of it. I saw a few of the results about, uh, about 20 minutes ago. So it looked, uh, it looked pretty fast. Yeah, the Ethiopian guy, um, he retained his title, didn't he? Like it's two hours, four minutes, I think, and... 15 seconds, I think he finished it in. It's pretty mad. Like. Yeah, and the depth after that was was unbelievable. You know, you had the Japanese marathon run at the minute is, well, it's always been, hasn't it? But at the minute, it's certainly go through a, a real strength spot. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Like, um, it's weird having such quiet streets in Tokyo. I actually did Tokyo Marathon in 2015. Um, it was pretty epic. Like, um, it was pretty weird, though, just seeing the front runners going out, wasn't it? I saw a, I saw so, some guy had his phone. He was recording it as they ran by, and he went, "Here's the race." All right, that's it. And just kind of stopped. It, t- it took about twi- it took about twenty five seconds, and everyone was passed, and then they stopped, and that was it. Back end, you could see the back of the runners. Very unusual, very yeah. unusual indeed. I, I mean, Paris t- uh, was due to be on today, and at the last minute they cancelled. Uh, the race, so they only cancelled it yesterday. So you had forty thousand people, or thirty thousand. I'm not sure the exact number of people that were there, ready to run in Paris, and the sort of banned large gatherings. And there's 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 those people there wanting to run the Paris half marathon today, and it's cancelled. That's unbelievable. I didn't even hear that. To be honest, like it's a bit strange, really, isn't it? Because the people are there anyway. They're just going to be out on the streets and mingling with the crowds. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna cancel it. I understand cancelling it, by the way, but you need to do it like a couple of weeks 
up front. I fully, fully agree with you. I fully understand that why they would cancel it, yeah. but, but uh, the people are already there, and they've probably been been a big unofficial run around the city somewhere anyway. So the people will be gathering. But I, I fully understand these people have arrived in Paris hoping to run a half marathon and uh, haven't been haven't had that opportunity today. They're going to be raging. So they are like it's like New York marathon when it was cancelled as well. You know, and they said it was on. Everybody flew over. Um, a few of my mates were in Times Square. Oh, they're actually in the expo. And word came through when they were in the expo picking up their number. Actually, it's cancelled. Raging, over. raging. Ah, uh, you would be. But sure, I mean, if you took to New York and you took to Paris, you could, you yeah. could get more spaces. <laughs> yeah. Worst case scenario, like Irish pub in New York, like, yeah. you know. Um, bit, of, bit of shopping. But I, I am got, the, the people I am gutted for are those who are picking up their six-star medal or planning on picking yeah. up the six-star medal. Like, an epic journey. Um, I picked mine up in Boston in 2018. Horrendous weather <laughs> when the Japanese guy actually... Uh, I remember, actually, they showed a bit of that yesterday during the marathon trials. They talked to uh, Desiree Linden cool. and they showed a bit of the race. But yeah, that looked, that looked grim. I actually had a stop in the, on the course because I couldn't actually see. The rain was that heavy. Like It was just like... Sh- wow. Um, but and that's, and that's, and that's, a boy, that's a boy from Northern Ireland saying that, so it must have been there. <laughs> it must yeah. have been bad. But I do have to say, I had a pair of shorts on and a running vest, <laughs> and everybody else had joggers, like and these sheets. And I was like, "Well, it's not too bad." Like we're pretty used to this. Like. Yeah. Um. Um. So, where did you? Where did you actually? What school did you go to? So I went to Saint Malachy's College in Belfast. Uh, obviously, those who know the school know it's got quite a rich tradition of uh, of distance running, and uh, even now today, the Ulster schools on BBC last. Uh, Wednesday. Yeah, that was cool. Had, that was, that cool. was really cool. I, was, I, sh- I shouldn't really say this on a podcast, but I uh, I kind of pulled the shutter down in my office and watched <laughs> had the had the race <laughs> on in the, in the background. Uh, it was brilliant, and it was good to see the Samalikis boys still uh, up there fighting for for medals and team medals. So so yeah, I went to the Samalikis in Belfast. It shows you just how that sort of momentum and that tradition can sort. Well, that tradition sort of helps build momentum throughout school, doesn't it? Like. It really does. I mean, there's the old the old axiom: success breeds success. And when you're going to training on a Tuesday or Thursday after school, and the, the lads who are in the team already have, have run for Ireland or have run for Northern Ireland, or they went to Penn relays, and and, and mm-hmm. you just that success kind of breeds more success rather than the age groups. So, were you always into running back then? What age did you sort of uh, introduce to? I think it's kind of the the the, the typical. Uh, boy way into or, or or I guess young athlete way into 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 running. I played a lot of football, uh, right up to sort of uh, sixth form age. Uh, played for school and did, did did other things with football. Uh, and then being at St Malachy's, it was inevitable. You were going to go and do cross country at some stage. So we did a bit of cross country. I wasn't particularly great, and I'm sure a lot of people will remember. The Smalikis lads remember just how bad I was at some stages, so uh, it didn't come naturally. It certainly wasn't something I walked into and was like, "Wow, you're a, you're a superstar." Um, I had a lot of things to to work through and get right uh, before that actually happened. So I didn't I didn't really show any promise until sixth form, really, sort of like lower sixth, upper six. Yeah. Where did your motivation come from then? At that point, if you weren't like, you know, if it wasn't just coming naturally to you. Um... What was drawing you towards that, like to put so much focus into it? I think exactly that, that it wasn't coming naturally to me, that uh, I had this really resilient mindset as a child and it just kept, if it didn't, if it wasn't easy, then it was a challenge. And if it was a challenge, I kept fighting back for that challenge. And I kept thinking how much 
better can I be? I've got, I was, you know, I'm not running too well. Uh, I'd say 15, what can it be at 16, 17, 18? And that kind of challenge is what really kept me involved in the sport this long. So can you remember your first race where actually you became competitive? Um, so we, I can remember my first race and then, and then my first competitive. So Somalia's do the annual first year race every year. And I can remember being bust up the Mollusk for introduction to Mollusk. Here you go. And thinking, what, what's this place? She's brought us out here. It was cold, wet, rainy, and off we went. And I was kind of towards the back end of that particular race, but it wasn't really until I, I ran a race in the Reebok cross series and Somalia's, we always went to cross and did some cross series races. And, I ran the same race two years in a row and the same age group. And one of the years I was 121st or whatever, something towards the back end anyway. And the following year in the same age group, I finished sixth. Jeez. And it was kind of like, for me, that was the real visual of like, right, okay, last year you were in the hundreds and this year you finished sixth in the race. Um, I think I just got healthy. I grew up a little bit and uh, became that little bit stronger. And the work that I had been doing kind of, began to pay off a little bit mm. um so that was the first time where i thought okay okay this is uh might be something in this and um, did you have many friends around you who were doing it as well yeah so going to some like these meant that, that obviously from a from a year seven first year age group uh you made a lot of your friends in secondary school and you kind of gravitated to those who did the similar sort of things to you and um i, I kind of football group and a lot of the football group ran and then became the run group and you you begin to socialize with those same sort of people. And, you know, mm. I'm not sure if you're aware of what this Somalia's regime kind of is, but they're a school. They train Monday to Thursday together. Saturday morning, you go into a hill session together as well. So there's a lot of, of those groups being together and sort of uh, developing friendships within that. So a lot of my friends did, and it was helpful. You know, Sunday morning, let's go for a run, or Saturday morning, let's go and do, do the sessions at the weekend. So, uh, so yeah, a lot of friends did do that. And it kind of kept makes it easier to, uh, yeah. to keep going, doesn't it? Definitely does. Like a lot of the young guys around here, like, because there's so much into team sports, like football and Gaelic. But my son sort of veered away from running from that perspective. You know, there was nobody really sort of doing likes of cross country and things that of his friends anyway. Um, yeah. that, that's sort of, that's one of the areas where it can be diff- difficult because it's an individual sport, really, isn't it? It's, it's an individual sport, but I'd probably classify it as one cross country anyway, is one of the greatest team sports in the world. Okay. I mean, it is an individual sport by all we, we think of it traditionally as that. But if you think you've got four to score on a team and you're the fourth or fifth man and you're fighting it out for a 40th place in a race and it's like every single place counts, <laughs> that sort of real commitment to your team and to your teammates is, is really vital, I think. So it is, you're absolutely right. We consider it to be an individual sport, but there's elements of it that make it one of the greatest team sports in the world. And you, you, you actually find your place as well, don't you? Like you're running, you yeah. start then competing against those other people. Um, and those really sort of, even though you're competitors, it's those people that sort of motivate you and charge you on. Absolutely. Yeah. And you think you think week to week or how close can I get to them or am I getting closer or are they getting closer to me? And it's, and it's that sort of, especially at, at school age, 14, 15, 16, that's a great sort of little rivalry to have. Right the way through to adults. Now, I, I speak to some people down there when I do a park run and they're like, oh, I got a little bit closer to X, Y, or Z. And, and that's a nice little motivator for them. Yeah, and it's funny, some of the people that I've podcasted as well, like Leslie McDowell and a few other guys, um, Mark McKinstry and all, and um, those guys are like, you know, oh, I used to race him across country at school, or I used to race that one. <laughs> it's so funny, even now, yeah. they're holding that competitiveness, like that bite against those guys. Like, Can you remember your first win then, when that actually transpired? 
Yeah, so I can remember going to the, the district schools cross country, and I thought I was gonna I thought I was gonna win there, and I uh, got got a cold something like the week before, two weeks before, and didn't do much training. Then I'm sort of four, fortnight between, and probably wasn't quite right, so I finished second or third, and thought that's that's still pretty good. But then went to the Ulster schools cross country, and uh, and and won there. So that was the first time really taking taking a, a win in a race. I don't think I've won huge amounts of races since, ironically, but uh, but taking the first win, yeah, also, also schools cross country. We were at the Spirit of Running Awards night last night, so my throat is a wee bit hoarse. Bit, bit dry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a good night, though. When was the first time you put the Northern Ireland best on? Because it must have been p- pretty shortly after that, was it? Yeah, so the, my first one was probably the Celtic Cross. I can remember Celtic Cross Country in uh, Cardiff. Uh, I think it was Butte Park is the, the sort of cross country course there. Uh, so I finished third in the Celtic International Cross Country. Uh, then so that was the first time I ever wore the Northern Irish vest. Um, ironically, my my first Northern Irish senior vest uh, probably wasn't until the Commonwealth Games. That's so, right, yeah, isn't it? My first age, yeah, my first age group vest was yeah. I remember very very clearly at uh, Butte Park, Cardiff, and it was the the Celtic Cross Country. So have you always been? You've always kept running like this. You've always kept that momentum. You haven't had really long breaks like many people have had since then. Till sort of when your running career sort of picked up. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I've had breaks so much. I've definitely had uh, time away from from competition and time away from 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 racing week in week out. And I think that's actually helped me um, mm-hmm. in the sense now that, that that passion is still really there. But certainly from university through to sort of. Uh, five, six years ago, I didn't do huge amounts. Um, and I think I'm better for it now than I've had that little bit of sort of time away from racing, time away from competing and running for fun and enjoying what I'm doing. Um, and then now I'm back around full circle where actually for five, six years ago, I really got the bug back to go and compete and to try and uh, try and be as, as good at this as I possibly can. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because like, it can become pretty intense, can't it? If you let it. Yeah, it can, it can. Uh, I mean, you think of scheduling, you think you're trying to get your training in around things, but you're always sort of sacrificing potentially something and you've got to really want to commit to that. Um, for me, like working sort of Monday to Friday and potentially a few hours over the weekend, sort of getting caught up in things for school, then you, there's there's things that are you're not doing because you're running. Um, and it takes a while to really be, to, to be okay with that and sort of fit it into the routine and become better at fitting in the, the quality of training that you need. So yeah, it took me a while to get really used to that routine. Um, but ironically, the more I worked, the sort of better I became at prioritizing things, uh, time management and getting getting training at the right times at the right quality. So you, you sort of said that things became more impactful in training. Um, so you were what you were doing had a purpose and everything had a purpose because you were limited by time. And uh, sometimes when you have too much time, that's when things go a little bit slightly awry. Time management is a key word, though. You know, we could talk here about your training, your nutrition, your kit. Um, I think one of the key parts for me, and something I'm a little bit struggling with at the minute, is time management. Because if you don't get that right, then it's like a deck of cards. Bit by bit, it just falls over, like doesn't it? It does. It's the sort of like uh, the ripple effects from that deck of cards mm. falling over. But I think it's 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 looking at your schedule and sort of saying, well, what are the important things I need to do this today, tomorrow next month, three months, sort of like micro meso cycles through the, the macro cycles. And for me, it's sort of my school day just isn't the same, same every day, but it has patterns. So I know, for example, if I want a session on a Tuesday night, it's probably going to be a late session. So I have to prepare 
the right amount of food for that day in school and I have to be uh, making sure that I'm getting the right training around it time-wise. So that sort of time management, prioritizing your day and structuring things really does become important. Yeah, and you need discipline then to hold that together. Discipline or routine? I don't know which one it is at the minute. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's just routine. So if my alarm clock is off at around 5.30 and uh, I'm, I've got the coffee pot on, it's ready to go, got, got me a stress zone, I'm out the door running. And sometimes I'm like, how did I get here? I'm a couple of miles in and suddenly just I've woken up properly and I'm like, well, we're 20 minutes into the run. So I do know it's basically a routine. It's definitely a combination of both. Certainly in the morning, it's, it's more routine and by the evening, it's more discipline. I had visions there of Wallace and Gromit. Is it Wallace and Gromit? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hold, holding out your running shorts, these mechanical arms. It's really about trying to find that balance. For me, it's like, yeah. starts by going to bed early. Of course it does. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you don't sleep, for me, the, the single biggest sort of aid in people's performance that I can recommend is sleeping and Mm-hmm. We had a good chat about this when we were on Athletics Northern Ireland camp in uh, Tour of Yeka, um in January. And I was saying for me, sleep is the most important thing. Um, if I don't get it, then it has that sort of knock-on effect. It impacts on my running, it impacts on my work, it impacts on my, I guess, my, my persona as well and, and my, my temperament. Um, and for me, it's the most important thing. You recover well, get good sleep, then uh, everything, everything from there on is positive for me. And we had other people saying, well, actually, I can operate off less sleep. So it is a very personal thing, but uh, knowing the right amount that suits you and getting enough of it is really important. So, yeah, prioritizing your, your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and you're only one step away from sleeping in, the, in, the, yeah. in your own kit before you go. Yeah, because for me, like, if I don't sleep, and the older you get, the more sleep you find you need as well. Your body needs more recovery. I find if I don't get sleep, then my nutrition goes during the day because you're looking for those little pick-me-ups through the day, which are just going to drop you again. Yeah. Um, but if, you're, if you sleep well and you can eat well, you know, you're not looking for those like wee sugar hits or anything like that. And or caffeine hits. Then it all just sort of comes together. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've got a lot more <laughs> clarity and a lot more mental strength as well. Yeah, and that's a resilience, don't you? And, and that, I find sleep has, yeah, like you said, you're probably reaching for the snacks a bit more and you're doing all those little things that you probably wouldn't do if mm. you're sort of structured and, and sleeping well. You're maybe not thinking with as much clarity and, and everything else as well. So that resilience that we spoke about and that sort of determination and discipline, they all sort of peter off a little bit when you're tired. Um, so the better you sleep, the more you recover and, and generally the better, for me, the better you feel. Um, what about your nutrition then? How do you dial that in? Like, do you eat a lot of like veg and things like that? Uh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're pretty, we're pretty good here and that we do everything quite fresh. Um, so we, Heather, my wife and I, we always eat together pretty much every meal apart from lunch when we're at school, obviously. So we prepare everything freshly when we come in. So we're, uh, we both run. So we're both out training at the same time. So we get in and we tend to prepare quick, but healthier meals, uh, during the week. Um, and our breakfast is fairly, we, we, you know, we get our porridge out and it's all ready. One of us is running, the bar, other makes a porridge, or one of us is in the shower and the porridge is made. So I've kind of got that little balance, right? Um, so Monday to Friday, our nutrition is pretty good, it's pretty spot on. Um, but yeah, we, we do ha- we do tend to, if we've got a busy week coming up, we're both being teachers, we, we can look ahead and sort of say, well, next week our calendar's full. So we'll, we'll, we'll cook some meals over the weekend and freeze them and keep them. Or plan meals that can kind of last two or three nights that are, that have everything in there that we need, but nutrition for me has become much more important. Um, getting enough in, mm. it, it seems to be the problem, making sure I'm eating enough. Uh, I can go through the day and get to two o'clock and go, whoops, I haven't had my lunch yet. It's just because I've been so busy. 
getting caught up in things in the past. Whereas now I'm very much right. Lunches, I need to get lunch at lunchtime because otherwise it is going to have those sort of knock on effects on everything um, in terms of recovery and, and getting ready for your next session or the even session, even workout. So nutrition has become quite, quite important, but we tend to plan quite well around it now. Do you find it's a very fine balance then? Because you want to try and keep your optimum race weight. Um, but you want to have that. I, I always find when I was marathon training that any nights that I sort of, on a Friday night, I collapsed and ate loads of food when I shouldn't yeah. have. I went out and I had the best run of my life the next day because you're full of energy. Like Yeah. I, I, I'm going to, I'm probably going to, hopefully, I don't know if this box is trending or not, but people we speak to, I can tell you my race weight is. I have no idea. Um, I've, I've been on a scale about three times in my life. Um, I, I tend to feel when I feel like I'm running well, then I'm running well. If I'm not, then, you know, it's probably nothing to do with necessarily my, my weight or anything. But so I, and I, and I certainly don't have a look at like portions of what I'm eating or anything like that. I just, when I'm hungry, I eat. And when I'm, when I'm not hungry, I, I, I don't. Kind of <laughs> uh, but uh, honestly, in terms of race, weight, I've, I've no idea. Um, I don't focus on it. It's probably the least of my, out of everything I need to be focusing on, that's probably the, yeah. the least of them. Um, that's not to say I don't pay attention to nutrition. I do. I don't eat a lot of takeaway foods and fast foods and things like that. I have them in, in the right 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 portions. Apart from last Sunday, after the marathon, I uh, had a burger for sort of early lunch, burger at lunch, and then a Burger King at the airport. So it was kind of a, a day of uh, a day <laughs> of, of making up for the rest of the year of not taking takeaways. But in terms of in terms of race, but I, I I wouldn't have a clue. And what is there's a lot of hype about diets at the minute. Like, um, what type of diet do you do? You eat a plant based diet or anything, or just a normal sort of variety? Uh, I think uh, your normal five-a-day kind of approach to life and, and your normal like sort of uh, food pyramid, so your carbohydrates, meat, bulking it up, mm. meats, dairies, so just your, your very standard, nothing, there's no, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm reticent to use the word fad, it's not, people's diets aren't fads, but there's none of the sort of yeah, like vegan approach or anything like that, I'm, I'm very much just your standard approach to your diet. Make sure you get plenty of meats, and for me, is the, the kind of, variety is kind of the important thing rather than anything else but yeah without a doubt um the scales is quite a key thing as well because like they can be very negative you know you could stand on the scales and be three or four pound heavy and think shit i'm gonna go out and have a bad run here you could be really hydrated you know you could be it could be anything it's just the fluctuations are so minimalist that it's it's not it's not uh, it's not really helpful you'll know yourself if you're a little bit heavier than what you'd like to be but again if you're running enough and you're training well and you're eating the right things Often there's not the concern there. So what does training well mean to you from an average week for yourself? So a training week, uh, during marathon phase or just um, during? Well, I suppose you're built up towards the marathon then. Yeah, so I probably got up as far as uh, 120 miles in a week. Um, it has a combination of sort of Mondays are normally a steadier kind of day. So some six minute pace running, uh, maybe like 10 miles at six minute pace in the morning and Maybe five or six miles a bit easier in the in the evening. And um, Tuesday could be a session day. Um, sometimes it's a block day, so um, that would mean I did a session in the morning before work, and then a session in the evening. So slightly longer, um, high end aerobic sort of session in the morning, and then the evening a bit of a bit of a tempo threshold or some reps. Uh, Wednesday again probably some six minute pace type stuff or or easy running depending on how the the Tuesday went and felt. Uh, Thursday could either be easy running or a rest day. Um, Andy's quite keen this time around to make sure that we had 
plenty of rest and recovery in there. If we're going to try and train that a little bit harder, which mm. is the idea, then we need to make sure that we're able to, to recover effectively from that. Um, Friday, either, depending on the week, either uh, a more six-minute pace, sort of steady type running day or a session. Uh, and then the, the opposite on the Saturday. So if it was a session on the Friday, then we'd, we wouldn't do one on the Saturday necessarily. Um, Sunday was more or less just... Uh, I, I don't do I don't do long runs in the sense that we just run long on a Sunday. It's a Sunday. It's another training day. Um, it's probably anything up to 90 minutes, maybe. Um, but it certainly wouldn't be the long run focus during marathon phase. We very much prioritise that. Um, so it might only come in once every two or three weeks. And when it does, it's, pre- it's pretty solid, pretty big. Uh, and very specific to what we want to achieve. Do you adapt your plan much based on how you're feeling? Uh, yes, usually on the usually on the non-session days. Um, I've been quite lucky this time around. Touch wood, it doesn't have a year, but I've been quite lucky this time around that I session days just I hit the sweet spot pretty much. Touch yeah, wood there for you. Just <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, hit the sweet spot pretty much every time sessions came around. We moved a few things around because of uh, a few of the storms we had. So there was a day where the Saturday was looking nice. And we're due to session on the Sunday. And uh, Saturday was looking maybe 10, 15 mile more winds as opposed to the 40 mile more winds on the Sunday. So it was logical to kind of switch things around and we just adapted that way and were suited. I don't really have as much flexibility in terms of moving days during the week um, because I, I could have a parents' meeting on a Wednesday and a you know, leadership meeting on a Tuesday. I was kind of prioritizing around those. So the flexibility during the week is a little bit less. But where we need to, we're, we're, there's no problems moving things. Was your what was your first marathon that you competed in then? So I ran uh, Manchester in 2014. Um, I kind of agreed stupidly to help someone out. And a good friend of mine was running uh, was running the marathon. He said, "Well, you could come to at least maybe halfway." I thought, "Yeah, why not? We'll give it a go." Never run a half marathon for my life, but we'll give we'll give it a shot anyway. So I trained with him and kind of just did most of what he was doing but kind of cut back on a few bits and pieces it wasn't going quite as far but about two or three weeks out he got a pretty bad injury so he couldn't run so he said well just do a long run and give it a go yourself so I did kind of another long run and a long session and then uh, I ran Manchester um, it was back to around 2845 1846 somewhere around there um, found out after I selected so I got I got discretionary pick for European Championships in Zurich off that I went to Zurich and ran ran there in that in that summer, but I found out sort of maybe three years later that uh, Manchester that year was short. So uh, <laughs> I guess my first official marathon probably European Champs in Zurich, but the first time I thought I ran a marathon was uh, 2014 in Manchester. So did that qualifying time count then? Because I know a lot of people lost out in Boston over that. Uh, well, it wasn't a, it, I wasn't there, so it wasn't qualifying time for right, me. Right. Okay. Um, so European Championships had European Marathon Cup, and at the time Athletics Ireland. I think very clever and, and and I think they did the right thing. They selected the full full cohort of teams, and I think only one person at the time actually had the qualifying time for the individual European Champs marathon. And they said, "Well, we can bring a European Marathon Cup team, and there's no standard, so we'll pick our six guys that we either run okay marathons or got marathon mm-hmm. potential. We'll pick them. We'll bring them along. We'll just see how things go." So they selected a full a five guys. So they selected the full cohort and bought the full team. So I got a phone call saying, do you want to be a discretionary pick for this? I thought, absolutely, let's give, let's give it a go. And then as soon as I hung up, I thought, i got to run another marathon. This is, 
not actually not committed. So, um, so yeah, the first one. It's my commitment, like, isn't it? Well, it is, especially when uh, I kind of Manchester. I made it up. I kind of did what someone else was doing. I kind of just played day by day, and I was thinking, I got to actually think about this now. So mm-hmm. I sat down with my little, uh, like, two, three month planner, and a uh, bit of it, the internet troll, the internet, and read a few books and thought, well, what are the what are the key things I need to put in this this twelve weeks? And I wrote them in, and I was like, okay, what else would I like to do in those twelve weeks? And I wrote those in, and I thought, well, what's what else is important to run a marathon? We need to run a bit more mileage. So I put that in and kind of just built it all up around that. Kind of made things up. I was probably too generous to myself. Probably give myself all the things I like to do. And uh, another of the things that maybe maybe better. But yeah, They say that like a plan doesn't only tell you what you'd like to do. It tells you what you don't want to do as well. Um, exactly. And yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, so 218 going into Manchester, even though it was short. <laughs> yeah. You didn't <laughs> add a few minutes like Belfast. Actually, they, Belfast took a few minutes off. I think it was, uh, I think they, so they, they tried to change the time just to kind of like show you roughly what it would have been. Mm-hmm. Of course, it wouldn't count for anything, but it was, it probably was around about 2.20. So probably yeah, in the end, pretty, they sort of said it was around about 2.20. It's pretty crazy if you're first marathon. Like, were you anticipate, well, you obviously were anticipating somewhere around 2.20 going into that race. So my only plan really was to stay with the lead group for as long as I could. I was just like, just go stay with the lead group for as long as you can. And uh, one guy took off. And away he went, and he was probably he, he was just a bit too fast for me at that time. I think he was, he ran two sixteen, two sixteen. Yeah, still pretty ambitious though, wasn't it? To go out with the lead group and it was, on. yeah. So I just thought I'll stay with this this bunch <laughs> for as long as I possibly can, and just hope that everything's okay. The funny thing is, like race nutrition was alien to me. Um, I had maybe two gels before the race. Somebody handed me a gel and thought, oh, I'll give it a go, and uh, sort of bottled water rather than anything else. So it was all it was a massive learning curve for me. Uh, at, at 26 miles, which is probably more like 25 and a half, I was thinking, "Good Lord, where's Old Trafford? <laughs> Need to see the finish line." Soon. Um, what what had you done before then? Uh, had, you, had you run up to half marathon distance before that, like raced? No, I, had, I hadn't done. Uh, so that was 2014. So I ran one uh, in the build-up. We went down. We ran one half marathon. So I went down to uh, Watford and finished second or third in sort of 67 and a half ish somewhere around about there um and then so that was probably five or six weeks out from yeah. from that manchester race so I, so i did one then that was my first one that's crazy though 67 minutes like um i'm gonna have to go back again then so what were you doing before you'd done the half marathon was it were you racing around 10ks i'm just trying to gather where that initial speed came from yeah, so I ran, I ran in schools so for schoolboy athlete, for example. I ran a lot of five k's. Um, okay. I won our school medals on the track over five k, and run won some uh, like Ulster schools cross country or Ulster schools track five k and Northern Irish five k champs. So I'd done a lot of five k type stuff on the track. Come from Somalis, that was kind of the the background that you did. Okay. Um, and then it all the way through sort of five k, ten k's. Uh, when when I did race, was was probably was probably the furthest I'd, I'd gone to. Um, but I ran, like, I had no problems going and running for two hours on a Sunday or, or whatever was going. Whatever someone was giving me out on a Sunday, pretty much from 16, 17 years old, I was I was more than happy to go and go and do. So I think endurance was always there somewhere, hidden. Speed yeah. certainly wasn't. So. What was your 5K and 10K PB sort of around that time? Around 2014, probably 5K was probably around about 14, 20-ish, 25, somewhere around there, maybe 14, 30, somewhere in those, that ballpark, mm. uh, and 10K. I probably had broken 31 by then. 
potentially. Okay. Some are some are right about then anyway. But in terms of like what training I was doing, how much I was racing, I probably wasn't doing huge amounts of racing right about then. So anyone who knew me was probably thinking when I ran the marathon, they thought, well, you've gone from doing very little racing and suddenly here you are in the start list yeah. of a start list of a marathon. So that was cool though. Um, it wasn't that long ago, like was it really? Two thousand and fourteen. When you think about it, that's only like six years ago. It's around six April years time. Ago. Yeah. Um, you got selected then for the Olympics on the sort of on the back of that journey. Well, yeah, ironically, that's probably Manchester probably Kickstarter for me. So in Zurich, I roomed with Paul Pollock. Okay. And uh, I know I'd known Paul from Belfast and stuff, but I roomed with Paul Pollock, and uh, he introduced me to Andy Hobdell. So I I'd made things up for Manchester. I'd made things up for Zurich. It just kind of was like putting things down on paper and trying to make things work. Uh, Zurich after Zurich, I wasn't sure if I ever wanted to run a marathon again. Not sure if you, not sure if you saw that course, but I still had nightmares about the vernacular that took you to the top of one of the hills that was on the course. Um, it was ten k lap course and like massive hill we went up. Mm. And people were ringing cattle like the, the cowbell things at you and stuff. So uh, it was an amazing atmosphere. It was incredible to be run, to be running for Ireland, but it was certainly uh, certainly a tough day out there. Huge hills off the lake. Like I wouldn't like to be running up those. There was yeah, there was so the, the, the flat about. So on a 10k loop, probably there was a mile uphill and a mile downhill, and the rest of it was brilliant. It's just that getting up and getting down. It was actually ironically coming down. So the last time coming down the hill, uh, my quads were just screaming at me. It's kind of probably five or six k to go, and I was thinking, "Ouch!" So I'm at that downhill section. But so when I met Andy, uh, Paul introduced me to Andy and spoke to Andy, and he had sort of said, "Well, let's 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 get that 67 a little faster." And let's try and look towards uh, doing some training. So I sent him the training that I've been doing. He said, send me what you've been doing. And we'll have a look at it. And he just wrote back, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> We're going to make some really good progress here. Um, so I kind of, that can make good sort of motivation to, to hang in there and, and, and do the things that, he, that Andy's been setting for me since. Do you think it's important to strip those shorter races back a bit? Absolutely. I think they are. I think I, I would query just how much or how quick you need to go. Really, if you, if you can't run 65, then you can't run 210. Or if you can't run uh, 75, you can't run 230. So you gotta you got to certainly get those times down and, and have the confidence to run uh, strongly at those shorter distances. Um, but I don't think it's really important to be, you know, your, your best shape might be on marathon day if you're prioritizing your marathon. And if you were to go and run a half marathon that mm. day, you might even run a PB with a half marathon too. So I think it's important to, to get those times down but not to worry too much about them. Um, yeah. You know, there's no real, they, they try to use sort of like all sorts of equations to work out your marathon time based off your half marathon time, et cetera. It's impossible. Um, there's so little real sort of correlation between the two, but certainly if you can't run a 75, you're not going to run a 230. So it's kind of looking <laughs> at that. Yeah. Um, it depends on your aspirations as well, doesn't it? Like, cause I know yeah, a lot of marathon club runners, um, and they really struggle to get their times down, but they're run they're really just going from marathon to marathon to marathon. Um, I have a couple of friends that just parked the marathon for like a year and a half, and they went back to five k and got their five k right down, then their ten k, then the half, and they've knocked like almost an hour off their marathon times for doing that. It's a very sensible approach. So after when I met Andy, if we if we go back to sort of like uh, Zurich, when I met Andy, he said, okay, we're, we're not going to do a marathon this year. So let the spring go by, and then we'll look to Berlin in the following September. So that was September of 2015. It's like, just let it all go by. Let's focus on getting that half marathon down. 
And so we got down to 65 flat, roughly, around 65.07. I think it was in Reading. And then went to Berlin uh, and ran uh, just inside 2.15. So I was able to get my half marathon time down by a couple of minutes and it had a real knock-on effect on my marathon time. It came down by about five or six minutes that day. So if you take 2.20, we say Zurich was a legitimate distance and you say sort of like 2.20, probably just inside 2.21, uh, to 2.14.50. Wow. And you, you took nearly six minutes off your time by sort of getting more comfortable running faster. So when you came back to running longer, uh, it did seem that a little bit more comfortable. So when you took Andy on then, you was your eyes on the prize then, really, with Rio coming up? I, I was, it, was, it was kind of a, a, a blissful ignorance of, of everything at that stage. I was still quite new to, to all the sort of international scene. So no, I kind of snuck by. I went to Berlin and I was hearing rumours that this race was potentially an unofficial trial and all sorts of craziness. It was So I get there and there's 10, 12 uh, sort of elite Irish guys on the start list. And I'm thinking, oh, there is quite a few people here. Uh, so I had no idea, none whatsoever, until afterwards Gary Murray said to me, oh, first back in this race pretty much with the qualifying time, pretty much you're pretty much there to Rio. And I was like, what are you talking about? That's the Olympics. I just... Uh, just my third marathon, like not really thinking about that. He said, no, no, that was the, that's the agreement that's been made. So I was kind of out of that network and out of that little cycle of things. I didn't really know what uh, the sort of, uh, I guess, selection criteria was at that stage or what the policy was. I had no idea. Uh, and it wasn't until after the race that somebody said, yeah, you could actually be, uh, you'd be able to shot you. Wow, that was mad. Like, that must have been some buzz though, thinking that. Uh, we were at the airport. Uh, Heather and I were at the airport with Andy on the way back and Andy's like I'll just double check that I'm not sure I'm not sure if that's true just enjoy the moment enjoy the fact that you've taken six minutes off your PB and enjoy the process that you've been through yeah. um, and enjoy that today you're a little bit better than you were yesterday and, and, and kind of really really enjoy that embrace that uh, but let's have a look when we get back I'll give mm-hmm. uh, some of the athletics out on the call and just work out what's going on um, and then my phone started to ring a little bit and I had a few people sort of saying, oh, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, you're, you're, in, you're certainly in a good position right now. You need uh, three people to go faster than you between now and, and, and uh, April for, for you to not go. So to even be in with a chance of being selected for me at that stage, it was remarkable. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. And he's got a very wise head on his shoulders, hasn't he? Because like, it's very important to actually firstly be aware of what's just happened um and really enjoy the moment when it happens because running is it's a friggin' love-hate relationship isn't it really like you know things can go brilliantly and then next thing you know it's like how did i get to this place again like um so to enjoy those wins is really important when they happen i think it's a, enjoying every step of the process on the way and mm. not wait until you get to the destination to celebrate i think that was the key sort of message that he, he was putting across there. He was saying, well, enjoy this. This is a process. This is one of the steps in the process. And, we're, and, it, and his famous quote is, we're having fun, aren't we? And he's always <laughs> saying, we're having fun, aren't we? We're just having fun here. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm still having fun. Um, and every day that we, we do successfully get through training or, or not, um, it's still, we're, we're enjoying the process and having fun. But you say, you say why he's head on his shoulders. I think sometimes he must question himself when he's taking on two, two crazy Irish guys to coach. So, yeah. <laughs> So what was it like then, slipping on the vest and going to Rio? Well, I had no parameters of anything to compare it to. So for me, Rio is, was, a, was an incredible experience. Um, I, I'm really grateful for the opportunities that, 
running and sport can bring mm-hmm. in. And I tell this to the children in school all the time. I say, like, these opportunities you need to take with two hands and take all the positives from them that you can. But when I went to when I went to Brazil, I had no no expectation whatsoever. I didn't know, I had no parameter. I couldn't tell you what the London 2012 was like. I went down to watch Mick McKillop actually in the Paralympics at London 20, at London 2012. It was amazing. Um, but I couldn't. I had no real parameter. So when I got there, we we were in uh, Sao Paulo to start off with, and then up to a place called Uberlandia mm-hmm. uh, for holding camp. It was amazing. Here I was in this amazing hotel. All these people here, they, they, they can do enough for you. Um, if I wanted anything, they I had it. If I if I wanted to go somewhere new for running, I was there. Um, it was brilliant. Athletics Ireland looked after us really well. The Olympic Council looked after us really well. And even down through to the village, when we arrived in the village, it was it was remor- it was incredible. Um, so for me, it was. I, I don't think anything will take away from that experience. Yeah. Um, oh, it's the Olympics, some, like you know, it's the Olympics. Absolutely. Maybe somebody who was at twenty twelve might be listening and going, I did 2012 and I did 2016 and actually 2012 was significantly better. But I was at the Olympics and uh, I, I was, here's this boy from Belfast, North Belfast, and he stood in the, the Olympic village beside the Olympic rings getting his photograph taken. So it was, it was remarkable for me. Yeah. It's crazy like when you think about the history of the Olympics, like this is the world's best Olympians coming to perform athletically and you're part of that group and part of that history forever. And 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 the back of my head, I'm still that guy who, who ran two eighteen or two twenty or, or outside two twenty in Manchester, uh, less than a year before that, or just over a year before that. So it was, it was a journey. Um, and when I arrived there, it was it, I was learning that journey every day. Suddenly, here I was with, like you say, the the best athletes in the world, and I'm I'm, I'm going to go and run twenty six point three miles against them. So, were you starstruck by any of the athletes that you seen in the village? I. Yes and yes and no. Yes and no. I think uh, I'm a huge sports fan. So when you see people like Juan Hobie McKell was there, like John Hobie McKell, the, the the Chelsea player, and there was so the folks, some of the footballers were kicking around, and loads of the athletes were there. And uh, so so yes and no. Um, I'm a huge sports fan, so I'm always always want to see what people are up to and, and chat with as many sports people as I can. So that was great. It was amazing, but I wouldn't say necessarily starstruck. Um, I think it was still just genuine awe of the situation and uh, hard to believe that I was actually there. So what were your nerves like coming into that then? Strangely, I, I think it's, it's a weird one. I, I, I don't really get nervous for marathons. It's weird. Um, I don't know whether or not it's a I've prepared and I'm ready or it's just one of those things that I think the marathon is very much you against the distance. Even though we're there, we're racing against the best in the world. you still got to conquer the distance before you conquer anyone else in the race. So, um, I wasn't overly nervous about the, the marathon. I was more nervous about, yeah, like arriving in the village and arriving in, in Uberlandia and meeting my teammates because a lot of them had been on the journey for two, three years beforehand and had a lot of sort of, I guess, communication with each other. And, and here I was just, it felt to me anyway, just dropped into the situation. I just arrived. Um, so that was, that took a little bit of getting used to. So I was more nervous than that than it was necessarily about running the marathon itself. Rio sounds hot to me. Um, so the race itself, how did that go? Uh, it was a learning curve for me. I got a little bit ill in the village, so I got a bit of a bit of a cold virus type thing. And so the experience, the marathon itself, was tough. I found it quite hard. I think if you're a little bit on, a little bit unwell, mm. you're going to struggle out there. It was really humid. Um, I think I misquoted it. I think I said it was something like, "Oh, it's eighty percent humidity here," and the the, the 
uh, guy was interviewing me after the race laughed at me. He said, "Try 100. It's, it's super, super humid here." <laughs> um, so it was really humid. It's hard to get across the impact that has on your performance. So compare the humidity there to the to the heat in Australia. Uh, entirely different sort of outcomes and things. Uh, humidity makes it so difficult to sort of sweat and cool down and mm. and, and keep the body temperature cool. So I struggled. I struggled a lot with it. I think uh, the the whole excitement of being there got me off the start line and then when it all flattens down you left that sort of archery velodrome area it was like oh dear 20 miles to go 26 miles to go should i say <laughs> uh, so uh, it was tough but i just kept in my normal sort of standard routine of just keep trying to keep it as sensible as you can for the first half and then try and work your way through uh, for the second half so it was a, it was a great experience but it was it was i learned a lot from maybe not running as well as i wanted to yeah i don't want to jump ahead like but it couldn't really have been in a better place, could it, for going into twenty twenty? You know, you said that you've learned you've learned a lot, like so having yeah. that heat, having that humidity, having a different environment, and even being in that environment to begin with. You know, it's a lot easier having done it once. Not, I'll take the word back, easier, but <laughs> it's 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 you grow with experiences, and then mm. you can't really get used to that experience until you've you've actually been there. And I and I kind of learned a lot from the whole experience, um, in terms of even things like traveling there and, and, and being best prepared for that and what you do when you get there and how you recover from your journey and your nutrition and getting used to the local sort of nutrition and things as well. So I learned a lot from it, but the heat and humidity between uh, Rio and, and uh, Australia, the Commonwealth Games, I learned, I think, a whole lot from that. Um, your pacing strategy changes, your training strategy changes. you got to get used to sort of adapting to it a bit sooner. Um, we were in Australia for three weeks and, and we're in... Uh, Rio for three weeks so it was plenty of time to really get used to that environment but I couldn't I, I certainly didn't do enough research into Rio as to how that humidity would impact me mm. um, whereas now I'm, I'm certainly more mindful about consulting with the right people about getting that information as soon as you can and prepare for the conditions you're about you're, you're going to run in but like you say uh, Tokyo is a million miles away at the stage I mean there's no there's no selections or anything yet so this is what happens when you go out. I actually finished at four o'clock this morning. I don't drink. I don't drink. <laughs> I don't drink anymore. Like, and it was one of those nights. It just was like, well, we're going out. We might as well enjoy it and start training again next Absolutely. week. Like, yeah. So I keep on losing my line of thought <laughs> because oh, of it. I, I wouldn't worry. Um, Sometimes that's better. <laughs> yeah. So was it the Commonwealth came up next after that? Because you done really well in those, didn't you? Uh, Rio 2016, and then Commonwealth for 2018. Yeah. So that was the next sort of championship for me. Um, they were, they were, for me, they were, they were incredible games. Um, maybe slightly biased because I, I enjoyed the fact that I ran, I ran pretty well. And yeah. I'd say more than anything, the race plan that we came up with, we executed well as a, as a, as a sort of like Athletics Northern Ireland, uh, Commonwealth Council and, and Coach Andy. And we kind of all got our heads together and came up with a real good sort of plan as to how that race would go. And it went, it went according to plan. So when you come away from something, maybe your experience is, is heightened by the fact that it, that it did go well. But the whole village there and the, the environment there, Australia loves sport, don't they? So it was a, it was a very good Commonwealth Games. Yeah, and that's the thing about the marathon, though, isn't it? There's so many things over that period of time have to come together for you to perform at your best. Yeah, definitely. And and us being there early enough really helped out. I can I can remember sort of getting into the second week of being there and thinking, I came from Loughborough where it was snowing. I had photographs of me doing like a tempo <laughs> and it was like ankle-deep snow, just trying to stay on your feet. Um, then to being in Australia where it was 30 degrees and uh, it was the second week in 
So that was still, I was beginning to worry. I was like, I'm not sure I'm going to get used to this heat. And my quads were hurting quite a lot and everything. So I was just thinking like, with the treatment with, with the physios there, it was awesome. And I was thinking, the physios are taking care of the quads, but I'm not getting used to this heat. What's going on here? And then it just, probably the end of the second week, I did a session, did a workout. It was like, right, that's, that's exactly what the splits I would hit if I was in the UK or Ireland in 13, 14 degrees. I just hit them today and it's mid-20s. So and it just clicked in. It's like right now, there's no panic. So you can kind of just relax and you know you're there. It's brilliant. Like, isn't it? It's so much in the head as well. Like, so when you start, when you hit those, like those splits, it gives you so much confidence then going into the race. It does when you know that, I always think like training sessions aren't fitness tests. I think you get, it's important to remember that, that sometimes it just isn't there and that's okay. You know, you might intend to run at a certain pace and on that particular day, the pace isn't there. So you go off the effort um, and kind of on the day effort. And I, and I think I use that quite a lot in racing. So I sort of say, well, I hope it's there. And if it's not there, then what's the effort? And you got to kind of just go off that relative effort. Um, and that's certainly one of the principles we use in training quite a lot. So we have a pace we'd like to hit. And if we don't hit it, sure, the effort's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and staying within that sort of effort zone is, is really important. And the more marathons you run, the more you realize that's a tool that you can use in all conditions and all marathons, really. That perceived effort and getting used to how your body feels at certain intensities is, is helpful. So you're really in tune with your body then? I think you need to be with marathon distance. Um, otherwise, you're gonna, you are gonna could think you're going okay and, and anything, anything could happen then. So I think it's really important to know mm. what, what sort of signs your body's telling you and know when enough is enough or know when it's okay to push on a little bit. Because I've been on both sides of that, you know, and you, as a club runner, you know, your watch is telling you exactly what to do. <laughs> and I've been on really hot days and your heart rate is through the roof and you're not able to hold pace, but you're not willing to let go of it. And you That's just, hard, it's proof. And you just crash. You know, you soon learn after four or five times doing that, no, you need to go on how you're feeling. Um, it's okay to use the watch to start off your tempo and get into that rhythm um, but it's more important then to just focus on how you're feeling and you may go faster like my, my pb in my half marathon which i knocked three or four minutes off i never even wore a watch that day yeah and it just came out of the blue and you went off you went off that, that effort idea uh, it's really important to do that we we do a lot here with sort of say go 10k effort you're on t- you're on eight by k at 10k effort and there's no mention of pace and um, you're running six by mile and we're kind of looking at 10k effort there as well um, and getting used to that sort of effort and like you say sometimes you get into a race you don't wear a watch and it's just all of that sort of effort and feel and, and good things happen you're not stressed you're not chasing things mm. but that's it that's a really good way of putting it like when you you have your heart rate monitor on it's telling you everything it's telling you it's too hot it's telling you you're running too fast yeah. and we still tend to we're all guilty of it we, we still tend to ignore it sometimes and just hope that it's going to be okay and invariably it's not so it's really getting into a tune with your body and mm. and in tune with what your body's telling you when you're racing and training it's just experience, really, isn't it? That's what you're describing. It is, yeah. And learning from those experiences, I think, is the important one. Um, you can have all the experiences you want, and yeah. if you don't change anything, then uh, <laughs> you can get the same outcome. It's kind of like the definition of insanity, isn't it? Yeah. And it's learning from those experiences. So for me, uh, London, I ran London in 2017, and uh, I learned a lot from that race, and it didn't go really well. Uh, it went well. I, I would sit here and say I ran around 217, and if I sit and say 217 isn't going well, someone's going to... Yeah, watch out. But yeah, of course. And and I learned I learned so much from it. I think I covered my last point two of a mile, it took about two minutes. I was I was very close to sort of crawling to the finish line. My my quads had gone, my nutrition was off that day. I missed three or four drink stations. It was a bit hotter than I thought it was, and I, I felt it was tough 
from about eight to ten miles and I just ignored that and uh, and things went a little bit wrong uh, on that day but I learned say a little bit wrong but very very right I learned a lot mm. from that experience um, I needed to learn that and uh, that's kind of coming away from it and saying well what changes can I take from that because if that happens again if I do that again then it's probably my own fault you talked about nutrition there a couple of times during the race um what is your typical sort of race nutrition so i go for i try and go for maximum drink stations so if you have eight stations i'll put out eight bottles of 500 mils of sort of sis hydration are we allowed to use brands in this yeah 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 is that okay? <laughs> uh, I'll, give, I'll give my phone later on to sponsor it <laughs> yeah if they want to if they want to throw some my way i tend to drink a lot of it uh, sis uh electrolytes in the bottles of sort of 500 mils and then yeah. I put, uh, uh, again, SS gel on the side. I've tried all different types of gels, and these are the ones that just seem to sit best with me. So there's eight of them out there. And then I also put, I kind of put two inside the side of my shorts and put the shorts there tight. So I've got two gels just in case. So I've got plenty of fuel. And when I picked up by, so this time around in Seville, I missed the first water station. So I was able to just take one of the spares, and it wasn't, it wasn't a panic. I had a spare there. I wasn't overly bothered. It was okay on a bottle of water on the side. So I, I, that went quite well, but I tend to try and get, if I can get all eight, then I've had eight gels and a lot of fluid. And it, it seems to sit okay with me. I'm not recommending that for everyone. Yeah. You've got to try it and train yourself and kind of see what works for you. But um, I seem to be okay with that. If I can get all those drinks and, all, and, and the gels, I got quite used to holding my drink until I'd done, I was done with it. So it's not a case of just taking a sip of it and kind of chucking it away. I hold it and carry the bottle until I'm pretty sure I've, I've, I've used most of it, if not, if not all of it, and it's all definitely gone. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of just keeping on top of it early on and not kind of waiting. A lot of people tend to take the gels maybe 20K, 30K in. And for me, it's too late. I kind of get that glycogen sparing effect a bit sooner. What about the morning of the race then? What would you take? Uh, so I'm, I'm not overly... Not overly sh- fussy in, in terms of uh, my, my stomach I'm touch weight I'm, I'm quite I'm quite good so I'd have porridge and some toast and jam and uh, I've cut back in the coffee and race morning thankfully I, I kind of I did learn from that mistake in Berlin uh, European champs in two summers ago uh, so I learned from a mistake I made there but uh, so I'd have a little bit less coffee but I still have some coffee and and sort of plenty of plenty of water and, and, and sort of fluid just to keep hydrated make sure I'm hydrated before I get into the race but um I think in-race nutrition is so much better now than it used to be. Mm-hmm. That the whole idea of sort of trying to carb load and sort of eat lots of pasta and stuff in the week before, I, I, I avoid all of that, really. Um, I kind of follow a normal diet. I'm running less. I'm storing more. And I tend to go in feeling, if you eat too much, you go in feeling that little bit bulky. And so I just need normal diet all the way through and then just make sure that I'm getting access to what I need in the race. Yeah, a lot of those old sort of myths around carb loading and stuff, they're all starting to fall at the side. You know, the likes of the pasta parties the night before. Um, f- I know and everybody's different, like, but, you know, for me, it's the worst thing I could possibly eat the night before a marathon is white pasta. <laughs> and for most people as well, because it takes a couple of days for it to break down in your body. Um, but when you're training, you're not doing it. So I do it that week. And, and especially when you're you're kind of backing off training as well. So by the time you get into the final week, you're, you're running a whole lot less, probably 50, 60% for some people less than what they were uh, during the full phase. So to think that you would eat even more than than, than, than normal seems a bit 
maybe misplaced, but for some people, it's, in, it's individual. If that's what they run well off, and yeah. fantastic. And if it kind of, if it's if it's a placebo or, or not, when you sort of break down the, the the literature on carboloading, a lot of it is quite old and and that old sort of old fashioned sort of principle. Um, I never did it, and and those people who do do it and they get good good effects from it, then they should continue. But I, I never did it, and it's not something that I'll probably start doing now. And that is the thing about um, race for nutrition. It's so individual. Um, I remember talking to a few guys who don't take anything during the race at all, a sip of water, and that's it. Um, yeah. So I tried to do that <laughs> to my peril. Um, but a nice little gel with caffeine makes me feel like I've just started to run. You know, yeah. so I could be at mile 14 and take an iso gel like with caffeine. I feel great. Um, so why stop doing it? It's, it's That's exactly it. It's finding what's, what has worked well for you and, and learning from that experience. And, uh, and if, it, if it works, it works. And trying what other people suggest is okay if you try and train them. But you get a million different suggestions from a million mm. different people and you can't try everything. So once you find it, what works is kind of it's worth sticking with. So the last 12 months then, you've obviously been focusing on getting qualification for Tokyo. Uh, yeah, yes and no, yes and no. It's kind of a weird one for me. I think I spoke, I spoke earlier about process, uh, and my aim sort of over the last sort of sixteen months was to try and run quicker than I had done. Okay. Uh, so I went uh, into I had a run Barcelona last year around sixty three minutes for the half, uh, which was a big focus to try and sort of get quicker at the half marathon. And my PB before that was just inside sixty five. So I made little tweaks and trying to get quicker. Uh, first of all, we, I didn't do a marathon from, uh, so I ran Commonwealth Games and then I didn't do one until Berlin in September. So it was over a year away from the marathon there as well. So for me, the, the sort of focus was just to get a little bit quicker. Um, and, and it sounds silly. It's not saying that I wasn't thinking about Tokyo because I was, I definitely was. But I think if your end goal is just that and you don't hit that, then you, you might have a really, really good season and be disappointed. So for me, it was about, can I get a little bit better? You know, that meant that my 214.50 PB became 214.30. And that, that's, that's brilliant. That was an, uh, that's progress. Um, so, yeah, the focus was more on trying to get that a little bit faster uh, myself. And if that was enough, then fantastic, that was enough. I kind of felt that I missed a few, I would say missed a few opportunities. I would never swap the, the experiences I had. I went to uh, Commonwealth Games in, it was in March or April. Then I went on to Berlin in the August so I ran quite a few championships where I sort of thought I could I'm, in re- I'm probably in PB shape here um, but I'm running championship races in the heat and I'm not going to get that PB so it was kind of holding around that 214 for a while and I was kind of thinking I need I know I can go quicker than that I can go way quicker than that I just need to get the big races for that to happen you, you really need a bit of luck after that don't you like there is an element well I think it is fair to say there's an element of luck required as well because you, you can be in the form of your life and you're running those shorter races and you're like, ah, you know, I know I could go and I could go and cash in now on a marathon. It's very hard not to do that. It is. Well, after I ran, was around Barcelona last year, people said, well, are you going to go run London? So Barcelona was in February, you're going to run London Marathon. I said, but it wasn't the plan and it's still not the plan. Um, mm-hmm. My plan is to go and Berlin in September. But you're very right. You need to get the kind of luck in your side as well. So uh, when I ran Berlin in 2015, one mile more wind, it was got roast, it got, got up to 15 degrees. It, massive groups of people, it was perfect. You couldn't have asked for more. Two times I've been back since, it's been wet and windy. So I kind of think luck shone on me in Berlin 
2015 has kind of overlooked me a little bit in the in the last two last few attempts. Because I've done a podcast with Paul um, a year ago, I think, or a couple of years ago, anyway. Like, and you talk about luck. You know, he's a typical example of because he he's had a lot of injury, as he will tell you yourself, and been in great yeah. form, and then just bang. You know, and he's been so unlucky, but obviously his persistence and resilience has now paid off. When he ran yeah. two hours, 10 minutes and 25 seconds. So when his time came out and it was like the second fastest ever, it was only it was December, wasn't it? I think. Uh, it was December, Valencia. yeah, in Valencia. Yeah. yeah. Like that was like, holy shit. Like how did that happen? Like it was amazing. Like, um, but he he was actually that was quite a short period of training as well. They sort of pulled that out. Yeah, I was I was I was delighted for Paul then because we were out in Australia together, and uh, he he got hurt in Australia and it was it was devastating because he was in great shape, and there was medals there and, and it was kind of it was really really tough for him. So he came back and and got got himself prepared to go again. He got injured again in another mar in the build up to another marathon. It's just it became it was it was coming really heartbreaking sort of hoping that he's going to get one right because he, he's run 62.9 he ran that yeah. in uh work he's, he's been top he's gonna he's gonna kill me from this quote now top 15 at world half maybe even maybe even further up than that uh so competing with the world's best over the half marathon mm-hmm. distance and it just seemed to be that when he came to that sort of marathon quite a few times he was getting injured and i bet he was beginning to doubt himself as to whether or not he's going to be able to get through the marathon phase fully at the right level and 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 still race out well, Valencia did that. They more than did that, and I think yeah, it was. Yeah. We were all delighted for him. We were certainly massively happy here in our in our camp in our in our group that it went really well. Um, but he, he got him set there, like you said, it was off a kind of a shorter build up. But he's very good at cross training, and he's very disciplined with his approach to his marathon running. So um, it was fantastic. Yeah, and it couldn't have happened with all those pieces of bad luck. It couldn't have happened at a better time. No, definitely not. Um, he, I think he was going to run Berlin uh, in September and he got himself into really, really good shape for that and got injured. And he was just, I bet he was at that stage just yeah. questioning when's the next one going to come. Then Valencia popped up and it was it was looking like they were getting together a really good field and, and luck really did shine with him then. And he went to Valencia and yeah, hit that 210. Perfect. So in Barcelona, you had a great run as well. So he's, was it 213 you got? Uh, in Berlin, yeah. So yeah. I, I went to Berlin in September and ran 213. That was kind of it was bittersweet for me that one because going into it, um, I was in really good shape. So like, oh, training had been perfect. Everything was a little bit quicker than than what we had sort of thought was it was going to be. And I think going in, Andy said, just go enjoy yourself. Go run, go run a PB. And my PB at that stage, like I said, was two fourteen fifty. So go and run a PB and just just have some fun. So I I didn't really commit as hard as I probably should have done. And I, there was there was a group going suggested they were going to go at sort of two fourteen, and in my head I was thinking, well, my plan was always to run two 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 thirteens, would be perfect. If I could run two, if I ended the season with two thirteens, I'd be delighted. Given how long it's been since since people ran two thirteen in Ireland, and uh, so I I thought, well, I'll go with the two fourteen group, and it very quickly became apparent that that wasn't going to the group wasn't maybe as strong as we thought it was going to be. The pacemaker stopped at four k. And there's a bunch of us kind of just looking at each other, going, what are we going to do here? So we kind of, no one really wanted to take it on because the wind was fairly strong. Okay. So we had one or two people, Scott O'Rourke took it on for a bit, and 
few guys took it on. There was little bits of moving around, but very much it was kind of almost felt a bit pedestrian. If you, again, I hate to use that term because it wasn't. We were running quite fast still. Um, <laughs> so I only cleared it. It wasn't easy, uh, but, it, but it was definitely a bit more, I felt very controlled, very relaxed. And it wasn't really until sort of 22 miles where I was like, right, you, you can still run 213 mid to low here if you really get a move on, put the foot down. So that's when I kind of 22, 20, 20, yeah, 22-ish, I kind of just pushed on myself and ran a, ran a very solid sort of last uh, four miles, four and a bit miles. Um, so I came away and I was like, well, I ran a PB, so I can't be disappointed um, at all. But in the back of my mind, I was thinking I'm, I missed an opportunity here. Mm-hmm. If I had made the commitment to go with that 211 group, I think on that day I could have, I could have been closer to 211 um, rather than sort of sitting back and thinking, well, you felt really relaxed in that group and then you've run a semi-hard last 10k of that last four four or five miles and how much different would it have been had you been in the middle of a group instead of at the front end of a group in the wind in the middle of the group you wouldn't have noticed the environment at all um whereas picked up a little bit of the wind in, in that group so um, i came away it was very good it was, it was really positive but i still came away thinking hmm, i might have missed a little bit of an opportunity there so you were lucky enough then it turned out to be the right decision the way that the race actually went, because then we had Seville on the back of that, so you did get yeah. your you did get your next opportunity, um, which turned out to be an absolute blinder. So congratulations on that. What was the official finish time? Thanks. Uh, I think it was two ten oh nine. Because I've seen oh eight oh nine and ten quoted. I've seen all, <laughs> I've seen all three. Um, I'll wait for it. I'll, I'll wait for I'll wait for the appear in the bar at ten. They'll tell me. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I thought it was oh nine. So. Yeah, because that was phenomenal. Like, so tell me how that race actually went then. So you're at, you're obviously towing the starting line. Um, it's a good course, Seville, nice and flat. Um, the weather was good. It was brilliant. So I I was sent the start list on the Thursday. So we were in Seville all week. We had a great time. Uh, it might have looked from social media uh, that <laughs> we were that we were there there on a party, but I can guarantee that wasn't the case. Uh, thank thankfully the Seville Open Bus Tour. This isn't a promo, by the way. Uh, was great so we were able to get dropped off at all the other spots and see the city without having to walk huge amounts but so it was lovely we were there all week and on the Thursday I got the start list sent to me and I looked on the list and was like is this in rank order and I was like oh uh, I'm 44th on the list or something like can't be rank order surely I've never and then I looked down and was like yep that's rank order at 213.38 I was 44th on the start list in terms of PB and then I looked I looked behind that as well. It was like, you're probably talking 60th place on the rank list before you're hitting outside 214. I was like, I've never seen a, I've never seen a start list like that. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. So what where it made up its strength was it, it had two or three, two or four guys at the top end, but then there was a whole host of people between 29 and sort of 214. That sort of main bulk of people were in, were in, that, were in that section. So I looked at it and thought, well, if the weather is as good as it says it's going to be, and the pacemakers are as good as we've been promised. This is going to be it's going to be someday out there for people. So you must have been buzzing then, excited. Well, uh, yeah. When I when I saw the start, I was like, "Let's just do this. I I, it's Thursday. Let's go. Let's go race now. I can't get everyone together. <laughs> sure, let's just go. Let's go have some fun." Um, so I was I was really keen to get going. Yeah. Was it a Saturday race? It was Sunday. It was on a Sunday as well. Oh. It was on a Sunday, yeah. So we were we had a few days away from then. We were still in our apartment. We hadn't even moved to the hotel at that stage. So. Uh, yeah, we were. It was on the Sunday, Sunday morning. Very, quite an early start, actually. It was a eight thirty race start. It was okay, nice and early. So, how did the race actually go then? How did the first 
um, 10k go? So I, I told uh, my, my wife comes came along, she was there watching and she was she was more nervous than I am, bless. But um, I said, you're like, I don't know what you're nervous for. Either of two things are going to happen. I'm going to get out hard and I'm going to stay in the group or I'm going to get out hard and I'm going to be sat inside the road with you. Either way, it's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm willing to go out and commit today and just hope and trust that everything we've done in training is going to be enough to keep to, to get me there and get me through. So the first 10K was, uh, I was I had my watch for the first time ever. I never was just talked about you listen to your body, and I do listen to my body, but for the first time ever, I set my mile beep on my watch to sit, go in the background. So the screen was just a stopwatch, so I could look at the real splits on the road. Uh, but in the background, the mile beep would come up, and it would ping up on your screen. So my aim was that I didn't want a single one of those to pop up my screen outside five minutes, but I didn't want a single one of them to pop up my screen inside 4.55, because it done a whole lot of stuff. I've done loads of training in that sort of window, that sort of 4.55 to five minute window. I've done lots of extended running, sort of like longer longer running. So like, as long as it stays in that window, I know that I can I can handle this. It should be okay. And uh, first one pinged up at five minutes, and I was like, oh, this is great. And the second one pinged up at 4.53, and I was like, ah, already. <laughs> Two miles in, and I've got this wrong. <laughs> We're in it. So first thing I was... Such big groups that you'd almost got left behind if you if you didn't go in there. Okay. Um, we were 30, 40 something, 30, 49, 30, 50 at, at, uh, at 10K. Um, but I was in the middle of a group of 40 people, um, right stuck in the middle of that. And that's probably the main reason I, I missed, missed the drink as well, because there's nothing anyone could have done to prepare the drink stations yeah. for that amount of people swooping in, trying to get their drinks. When you put together a field of people with similar ambition and and very similar sort of pbs then that's that's gonna happen and, isn't and they're it? all so coming in a five minute mile as well that's it yeah and you're swooping in you're kind of knocking <laughs> yeah. drinks everywhere and uh, we had a so my drinks bottle were uh spongebob drinks bottles from the from the shop so they're quite quite cool little bottles but another guy in the field we're in the same shop he bought uh mickey mouse ones same color i was like oh so we had our drinks on the table and I grabbed what I thought was my drink at, at uh, 15K and it was, I looked at the bottle and I just heard from behind me, hey Mickey. I was like, that's not my bottle, it's Mickey Mouse. So the guy wanted his bottle back so I can, <laughs> had to give him his drink bottle back. But, uh, so we all shoot a bunch of people, loads of drinks bottles, but it was really, I don't think there was anything else you could do really to get those bottles. What time did you go through halfway point at then? So halfway um i was just in the back of that group still so there's like maybe 30 people it was about 65 20 somewhere around there 65 25 three halfway so how were you feeling uh okay <laughs> um i kind of i always try to not look at the clock through halfway because i think my biggest problem in the in the past has been perception of pace so in training this time around, in the last sort of, I'll say this time around, from, from Commonwealth Games onwards, if it was a little bit quick in the past, I'd have said it's a little bit quick, let's slow this down a bit, trying to be too sensible and sort of think, we said we're going to run 5.10, we've run 5.03, we need to slow it down. Whereas this time around, I thought, you know what, everything's moved on a little bit, you need to take a few a few more risks. So instead of saying, right, okay, we're running five five flats here, can we slow it down? I was like, it's just, let's just keep going, let's just see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I tried to not look at the clock, so I didn't have any of those sort of perceptions in my head, but it's hard. It's a massive clock, and you can kind of just saw it there, 65-25 or 65-20 odds. And I think I actually feel okay. I feel like I'm in a good place because the group is so big, and I can just sit here 
and stay here as long as I possibly can, then everything will be fine. But I, I couldn't see, you couldn't see any more than sort of 10 metres in front of you. There was that many people. Because it sounds like if you're coming to that point at that pace, like um, even if it does go wrong, you're potentially going to get a PB anyway. So there's that, el- there's that element of safety net. I was th- I was thinking that, but I talk about I, I, I some of the guys I advise here, and I'd say there's there's kind of no such thing as money in the bank when it comes to marathon running. Sometimes it's a high interest loan, and yeah. eventually you're gonna, you're gonna have to pay that back, and it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna, it's gonna take a lot from you. So so make sure that if you are putting some money there, it's not it's not huge amounts. So you're right. Um, my PB from that stage was two thirteen, so I had a a bit that technically, as long as I stay feeling okay, that you know I should be should run a PB at that stage. So 20 mile market then, were you still in the group at that stage? So I came out the back of the group at one stage um, and uh, ran, I was running with Hugh Armstrong, one of the other Irish guys in the group. And uh, he sort of, he, we've had a very brief chat and he's sort of saying like, is the group, are they, they're moving away, is it okay? And I sort of like looked at watch and beeped off another 452, 453 and I thought it's absolutely fine. It's absolutely fine. Like they're not going to keep that, they're not going to keep that going. They're going to come back just a little bit. And then, I knew that we had about a mile before we were going to turn uh, into our sort of two mile, two and a half mile windy bit. So, so I said, well, we've got a bit of time to kind of get ourselves back in there. They'll, they'll slow and they did slow a little bit again. So got myself back into the group. At 30k, I was, the group got smaller at this stage, but there was still a, a dozen of us. Um, so again, I, I, I should feel bad saying this, but there I was, pigeon at the back of the group, not seeing any in the front and not feeling any of the wind. So just hung in at the back of that group again. Yeah, I'm six foot one. I really struggle with that. I was. I behind. bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> at, at five foot, five foot. I joke with Paul. At five foot eight, five foot nine. I don't have any of those problems. I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> right at the back of the group, no one expects me to leave because they're not going to get any protection anyway. So, so how did the last ten k play out then? So it, at thirty five k, you entered what's called the sort of Plata de España, which was again a kind of big park and had this almost full circle of a turning circle. And uh, coming into it, I was feeling I feel pretty good here. But we come off this turning circle, I was thinking, I've never have I gone from feeling so good to so ropey in so little strides. So this kind of turning circle kind of upset things a little bit. But it kind of it looked like it did that to everyone. So it took a while to settle down again. But once we settled down, we entered in by the cathedral, which had some cobbles and twists and turns. So the pace kind of dropped a little bit. Um, and that helped me out, I think, because how they've been relentless on big straight long roads, I think I was probably on the edge of of, uh, of, of pushing too hard I wasn't willing to let go and I think that was probably the good thing about it is I did say even if it was 35k, 40k I was going to go until I couldn't go anymore so the last 10k was, was mostly okay at 40k there was another bit of a move and uh, I just I had a glance at my watch I thought if you keep running 5 minute pace here you're going to be absolutely fine and these guys are kind of like fighting with each other a little bit and there's a little bit sort of people moving on and doing all sorts and I was like I'm just I'm just sticking to my own business here, mm-hmm. uh, which was a good thing because at 42k, when you think it's nearly done, I had I had London in the back of my head, where it took me two minutes. They're on the last point two or two and a half minutes, so when I got the point two to go, I could really feel my quads. So I was thinking, I'm glad the finish is there, and I'm also glad that I didn't try to push on anymore because you went from feeling so good to right on edge very quickly. <laughs> It, it took me 18 minutes to do the last mile in Chicago, so I know all about that. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, when it goes, it goes. There's not much. You yeah. can, there's literally not, not much you can do. Like I think once once the legs pop and if they've gone at even point two, it's still you're still talking a couple of minutes. Then suddenly, 
safety net inside the 2130 isn't that and you're creeping out towards that so I was very much thinking just at this stage get yourself to the line people were like did you not think you were going to really try and push on and run sub 210 I was like I was thinking I just need that finish line to come soon so no I wasn't <laughs> so at mile 24 then were you because obviously your watch is beeping you're, you've looked at your overall time um, do you start calculating then in your head Jesus this is like if I keep this going five minute miles like, that's going to come in like you start doing that work or do you just keep to the process? Is it even entering your head? Uh, a bit of both. I had I had my first thought at 32K. Where I looked at 32K and I kind of thought, well, you need to run for the last 10K. You can run whatever, like 32 minutes and you'll still be okay. So I had a or 31 minutes or whatever, a 31 high. I was thinking I'd already worked it out at then. And I was like, right, okay, let's just see where we are at 37K. Okay, you still got five k to go, and you're still okay. So you do start calculating things and thinking, trying to think things through. More than anything else, it takes your mind off it for yeah. a bit. <laughs> I, my math is uh, kind of touch and go at the best of times. Hence, the reason I'm not a math teacher. Um, <laughs> touch and go at the best of times. So when I'm in the middle of running, it takes me a bit longer to work those things out, especially when you're getting tired. So it takes up a bit of bit of mental space, and it takes your mind off the race itself. So how did it feel crossing the line then, and actually seeing the time? Well, even is it. Is it finishing the stadium, does it, Seville? No, it didn't this time round. Okay. So uh, a, a friend of mine, Mick Claus, who was there, said yeah. that when he did it and finished in the stadium a couple of times, he said, actually, the finish now has made the course significantly faster. Um, he felt that going back over the bridges in the stadium made it quite tough. So, no, it was, uh, it was, it was finished on the main road. But across the line, I, was, I think it was, A, very relieved to be there, but, but, but B, obviously delighted that you know, I'd just gone and run just way a massive PB, and secondly, uh, you, you beat Paul Pollock. No, sorry. No, no I did, <laughs> you know joking. what? I didn't. Even Only know joking, that. Paul. <laughs> yeah, you were getting Paul. I yeah. <laughs> Although I do have bragging rights from the team, our, our huddle group thing at the minute, but that won't last long. Paul got another one and run, run even quicker. I've no doubt. But uh, I didn't. I didn't know that at that stage. I had no idea. Um, I wasn't sure what. I couldn't remember what Paul had run. So uh, across the finish line, it was it didn't matter anyway to me. It was kind of like here yeah. we are, and I've just run a just run a PB, massive PB. So that was class. Like, and like it's pretty unusual, isn't it, to see so many quick times from Irish runners come so close to each other? Like, because it was I remember reading polls. It was like fastest time in. It was actually yours. Actually, it was the fastest time in seventeen years, wasn't it? In Berlin. Yeah, and then Paul came in. <laughs> he was the second but fastest. Very quickly. Yeah, yeah it did change very quickly actually. Because when I ran Berlin, never was the two thirteen lost its shine so quickly. Dublin happened, and I was, but I was delighted because I think the only way we're going to be competitive as a nation on a global stage is if, if people keep sort of notching the game up a little bit. Um, I, I saw a little bit of the Irish indoors today, just a tiny little bit of it in three forty one wins the indoor 1500 I, I can't remember it being well, I say ever it wasn't it was a championship best performance so I think that challenge and raising that bar will help bring Irish running back to where where it should be and where it was in the glory days but I think if we jump back to 2014 there's a process uh, jump back to 2014 um, I said one person had that qualifying standard for the European champs and the rest of us were there in discretionary mm-hmm. picks and that one person had run uh, two sixteen high, maybe two seventeen low. Um, then off that we went into the Rio twenty sixteen cycle, uh, and 
we'd gone from having one guy who'd run 217 and the rest of us were all around 220 to suddenly having four people with 215 or quicker. And we had something like nine people or 10 people inside the Olympic qualifying standard, which was set, it was, it was set at 219. Mm. Uh, but either way, we had, we had we suddenly had 10, 12 people who had run quicker than 2014. Um, so it was that kind of raising the bar and that kind of allowing people to sort of look at that and say they can do that. Uh, led the progress. It was a very good process that, that actually happened. Because was, there was a huge change in the, the qualifying process. Because I actually had podcasted Mick as well after he won Dublin. And we were trying to work out in our heads what it actually meant. Um, but it came down to two hours, 11 minutes, I think, and 30 seconds was the qualifying time for Tokyo. And nobody yeah. from Ireland had run that. So we were trying to work out what that actually meant for all the Irish runners. But yeah. actually, it didn't even matter because you would never have anticipated what has materialized over the last few months. No, you, w- you wouldn't have done. And when the full criteria came out, we were, we were, everyone was confused anyway. I think the criteria is very confusing. Um, I didn't give it enough time to read through. Uh, I, I relied on Paul, sort of telling me the insides and outs of it. But it was very confusing. You're talking about ranking systems and auto qualifying times and, and all sorts of things. Um, but when you see the 2.11.30, you kind of thought, oh, it's been a long time. It really has been a long time since anyone has done that. And if there's one, anyone anyone in Ireland, should I say, probably quantify that, but um, if there was one sort of benefit from it, and it's been the fact that it has then made people think, well, you have to take those risks. You have to do those, get yourself into those races and, and commit to those groups. Um, because I think the talent is in Ireland. I think there's a lot of talented guys uh, who can run fast. So it's making sure that, that setting that carrot a little bit higher, that target a little bit higher, uh, has has led to that there's a whole big it's like self-belief there's a whole new self-belief you talked about the glory days there i know that um headline was like 17 years but it was really 30 years since irish runners were running that fast it was only i think it was mark carroll is that right mark carroll yeah. in 2002 yeah. actually made that 17 year mark but really apart yeah. from that run you know there was nothing for 30 years and all of a sudden there seems to be this belief in irish running people are starting to think well maybe maybe we can absolutely and i think the, the thing with it is um mark carroll mark carroll's performance first of all 210 that was in new york that's insane it's yeah. incredible run, isn't it really really good run there um, but the thing with in terms of that expectation that self-belief i think the more people are running quicker the more people believe that's possible i hope people look at sort of us running 210 and going well i can do that if he can do it, I can do it. And it's kind of a nice, it's a nice kind of thought mm-hmm. to have that. Um, but in terms of actually driving standards up, I think it's it's good that there's a bunch of us who all want each other to do well at the minute. So you know, there's the four, five, six guys who, who any one of them could qualify for Tokyo. Um, and everyone's happy. We're all happy for any of us to run well. Like I saw Dublin results and was delighted. I thought it was great for our space and And then Paul... Uh, what came first? Uh, yeah, Paul ran his, his, his 2.10 and again, over the moon for Paul, auto qualifier, he's, he's going to Tokyo, that's incredible, I know how hard he's worked and then Stephen ran in Houston and ran, uh, got a, a gold a goal label yeah. fifth so there's another auto standard and again, we're just absolutely delighted for people that they're, that they're really getting the rewards they deserve for the hard work that they are putting in. Um, these guys work incredibly hard and I think that's the rewards come from that are definitely showing that yeah and it's funny we were talking about it last night in the spirit running awards and Stephen was there as well um 
it is bloody hard work like isn't it like what i said to people the guys i'm podcasting are just they're no different than me and you they're just more focused and more disciplined and willing to put in the effort i think i think it's i think i i, I, I don't can't, can't offend anyone but but i think everyone puts in a lot they put a lot of effort mm. i think people who commit to running at all levels they work really hard don't they and i know people here who are uh running a little bit slower than i am but potentially training as hard if not harder than than i am um so people put in the work and they, they will get the rewards and they'll get better and better and better mm. um for, for us i think I, I think we, we have learned how to train properly and learned how to train hard. I don't think I did when we talk back to 2014 and 2015. I know I didn't. Um, when I said I sent the training to Andy and he kind of went, ha, 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 we're going to make lots of progress. He was right because a lot of things I did um, probably weren't training the right way. I was doing a lot of running, but maybe not the right type of running at the right times. So when I looked at this phase, I kind of thought, like, I need to make big changes if I want to try and run fast. And the idea of running sub 65 for 13.1 on a Saturday morning on a, on a tempo loop around Loughborough. Uh, I had to get my head around that. I had to make that a reality that I had to be comfortable. And we got to the stage where I'd run in those sort of sessions and, and, and making those sessions sort of stick. So it is, it is hard work. Um, it's not a case of just, it just happens. It, it unfortunately doesn't. Um, and it is a lot of hard work, 120 miles a week. And, and you're probably averaging 12 hours. So you're mm-hmm. talking about the average pace being six minutes or quicker. So um, it is a lot of hard work. And it is nice that people did 2.11.30, didn't put people off. It actually did the opposite. It made people think, how do I get there? Um, and what have I got to do in order to get there? I could have finished on that, by the way, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Um, no. there, there's been an absolute huge shift, though. Like There's, there's records breaking left, right, and center at every sort of distance. The five... The 5,000 metres was broke yesterday, Mo Farah's, or not yesterday, the day before, the European record Mo Farah's record was broken. Um, at Seville there, there was, I think there was 15 people went under the sub 208, which had never happened before. It's it's unheard of though, isn't it? Like, yeah. like that amount of people running at that pace, like, and even we got the likes of Sinead Diver and piece of people like that as well, like 42 years of age. And she, I think she's come fifth in New York. I'm not sure. Like, but it was, was around 225 sort of marathon she's pace. She's an incredible model, isn't she? Yeah. She only started like she was, I think she was 33 and her sister asked her to join like a, not a club run, but a small race or something. Fast forward nine, yeah. nine years and you're running that at the top level. She's a, she's a remarkable role model for people. I think it, like there's a lot of, a lot of athletes who maybe think that they haven't fulfilled their potential and they're at the stage of, oh, do I keep going? And she's a prime example of absolutely, you, you do keep going and you find that dream and you, you keep pursuing it. And like you say, 224, and she's pretty much touched wood for it, like on the plane to, to Tokyo. Yeah. All the old beliefs seem to be getting broken and smashed. We're going through this new era. You've got the likes of Gary O'Hanlon. Yeah. You've got Tommy Hughes as well. Like, and like he is just amazing. Hey, was he was it Barcelona Olympics he ran in? Uh, ran the marathon at Barcelona Olympics and uh, is still really loving his sport. He's still got that passion, but more importantly, he's running really well. Um, I can remember Tommy. So I, I went up there and run the shop in Belfast and uh, Tommy came into the store and he was, it might've been, it might've been 2008 because he was telling me that he, uh, I think he said he won Belfast marathon in 19, I'm going to miss it, it's going to be wrong. People are going to tell me I'm wrong now, but 1988, and he 
potentially won it in 1998 and it was like the 10th he wanted to come back and he knew he couldn't be at 2008 he knew he couldn't win it because we, the race had moved on but it was the first local prize so he had his eyes on this first local prize and uh, he he was first local back that day in 220 something so it's absolutely remarkable remarkable mm-hmm. career everything is just it's moving forward but it's moving forward very very quickly um, yeah. If we'd said about two or three years ago about breaking the two hours, we sort of know it's like that Roger Bannister sort of four-minute mile sort of out there, people saying it's not possible. And we know what El- Elliot Kipchoge had done to break the two hours and the way it was done. But he, he has done it. like he's, He has broken the belief system yeah. that actually it can be done. So we've had a couple of marathons now that have gone 201 and about 30 seconds in around that. If I was to ask you, you know, do you think the sub two hours is going to be broken in the next five years? Because of what Elliot Kipchoge's done, you do feel it's going to happen, like, don't you? I was in, uh, I was in Berlin when, when uh, Bikile ran his 201. And I can, I, I can honestly say that was a remarkable run, given the conditions. Um, I think on that particular day, he, he, he could have broken the world record. If, it was, if the conditions were the same as they were when uh, Kipchoge ran the previous year, ran that world record, Bikile, the world record would have been would have looked a lot different. It was a remarkable sort of run that day. Um, I don't think we're that far away. Mm-hmm. I think we're kind of edging around the idea of you know, advances in technology and everything else with with, with training the tire and shoes and everything like that. I don't think we're that far away from that happening. It's becoming more common, isn't it? Two three, two two. Um, I think that's been happening for a while now. It's just waiting for one or two people to sort of go that two one or quicker, and then we're not going to be we're not going to be too far away from that. You talked slightly about kit there, like, and I don't want to go into it too much. There's so much controversy at the minute about um, the Nike Vaporflies. I like. It's not all about the running shoe, you know. There's this huge shift that's happening, and it's only it's almost a little bit unfortunate. I feel that it's all happening at the same time. If that makes any sense. It does, yeah. I think advancements are important. I, I, I'm no, it's no secret to me that I'm not overly happy that this is where we are with shoe technology. But we are here. Mm. Um, I think we're at the stage where we've put some sort of embargo on what can happen in terms of advancements moving forward, and we'll begin to see sort of a, a, maybe a bit of a plateau on on, on things. But uh, we we are here, aren't we? And it's kind of the case where the surprise people acting doing surprise that people still see on Twitter and and, and like after big marathons, they're like, "Wow, has this happened?" The surprise has to wear off. I think it's a case of we know the shoe exists. We know these shoes exist, I say shoes, because there's, there's yeah. hundreds of different brands of them. We know they're around there, and we know that technology has moved on. It's happened before, and it'll probably happen again. Uh, hopefully now we're able to limit it for a while, but I do think it takes away from the, the, the idea that people are training really, really well. People are training really hard, um, and there is a belief that when you raise a bar a little bit, when you put that sort of card in front of people, they, they have to chase for it. And I think the two-hour barrier, the sort of 2.11.30 and those sort of things are all those little metaphorical carrots in front of people that they have to sort of work towards. So I think technology was always going to move forward. Yeah. It, it, it did when we, I mean, the world record at one stage for the marathon was, what, 2.20, 2.15, 2.14. And, and these things do move forward. And a lot of it is due to advancements in technology in the areas. Yeah, and advancement in all technology. Because we're, we're now at the modern day, so we're at the height of advancement in food nutrition training yeah. recovery you know it's all of that holistic approach coming together at the same time really 
I think that's exactly it. When we looked at that sub two R twenty six point two, the nutrition was different that they had. You know, they, they they were using a particular brand of gels, which was fine, but they hadn't they had them when they needed them more often. They, you know, the the shoes were different. The they were streamlined. They had the sort of like car in front of them, providing the optimum draft and all sorts of different things. Um, so technology, we we're in an era today where you put on your watch, you click your button, wait for the satellite to go. And you, you know, it's kind of like you put on your shoes that are, even if they're not a carbon shoe, they're a shoe with, you know, all sorts of advanced and sort of EVA and, and rubber polymers in them. The kind of the continental surface soles stop from slipping, all sorts of craziness in the shoe that didn't exist five years ago, never mind 10 years ago or, or, or longer. You come back in, your watch uploads to your iPhone and pops up on Strava for you right away. It's kind of, we were just, we are driven by gadgetry in, in running, but we can use that positively and people are they're using it to inform the training a little bit more inform the things that they are doing so we're definitely moving forward a lot in running it's not as it, it doesn't have to be that way but it's certainly not as 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 simple a sport as it used to be yeah but this is an exciting time as well i think incredible yeah it's you incredible know. and we're seeing it we're seeing it on the track we're seeing it on the road um we are i just think we're, we're at the stage where we need to kind of maybe stop making references to it all the time but it is happening do you know, like i still say i'm i'll repeat it i'm really shocked when people sort of look at twitter and go wow it's, it's happened again it's happened again it is going to happen and i think certain certain brands are getting a lot of publicity from these things happening but they love it like <laughs> absolutely love yeah. it, so they do so what does the just to finish then really what does the next six months look like for you i know they have to go through the selection process for tokyo um i don't want to say anything now because i know they still have to select and there are a few people as well they're still gunning yeah. for those spots because we still are exciting, we're still six months out like um yeah it's really exciting but what do you do over the next six months now you know you're obviously in the form of your life at the minute um do you let that drop down a bit and then build or what do you do so i'm, I'm quite happy that the, the weather's because the weather's really bad at the minute because i have no interest in going out and doing any running um so i'll take a bit of time now uh recover a bit sort of switch off physically and mentally. Um, I think the marathon, sort of the icing on the cake of a really tough, tough sort of 12, 16 week block. So it's nice to let the body recover and uh, run when I want to and don't when I don't and kind of for as long as I want to or short. So it's kind of a nice place to be in. It gives me a little bit of sort of headspace and I'm in, I'm in work. So it gives me a bit of time to kind of get things done that maybe I didn't do. No, I'm joking. Uh, it gives me time to get, yeah, sort of like settle back into everything. We're just back after the midterm. So, the short-term goal is kind of get myself back uh, when I'm ready to start running again uh, and then hopefully off somewhere for a bit of sun around about Easter break um, just to kind of start that process of getting used to sort of the, the warmer warmer climates. But it's a really exciting time. We're far from far from there. Like you said, there's five, six guys, seven guys who could who could still run the time and that's that's incredible for, for our mm. sport. And it keeps things really exciting. Excellent. It actually... But it's not it's not it's not unusual because 2016 was exactly the same. We had the same sort of hype and same sort of fun waiting, and I think it wasn't until potentially as late as sort of April May time before uh, before selection was actually confirmed. Brilliant, Kevin. Thanks very much. Going to wrap it up on that. Um, I really did steal your time today. Um, I know I lost my train of thought a few times, <laughs> like but I wouldn't worry. That's four o'clock in the good. morning, I was like, ah. Oh, I'm impressed. I'm impressed that you made it after four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So I've been, I've been asleep by now already. It's, uh, it's 
nearly six o'clock. <laughs> Excellent. I just hope they, they clear up this bloody coronavirus now. I'm going to Madrid to do the half marathon. Um, I think that's in the end of April, end of next month now. So, and a few big races in around Italy as well in June. So they need to get their hands around that because it's having such an impact yeah, on everybody. That's the, that's, the, that's the worry, isn't it? It's kind of how how it's already a really big concern globally and how much more of a concern is it, is it going to be? Um, it's kind of, it's, it's really sad for the people who are affected by it. Um, but for in terms of events, yeah, there's, there could be some some casualties of those events. There already has been, hasn't there? So I think the tour of UAE was uh, postponed right. uh, after two or three stages during the week. So It's almost a global lockdown. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. I wish you all the best anyway over the next six months. Um, fingers crossed for you and toes. Like you've done the work, so hopefully you get to cash out on that. Um, I think I'll follow up again maybe after that and see how things Absolutely. go at the end of the year. Absolutely, and I'll be I'll put as I'll, I'll put as much on uh, social media as I can over the next. I'm not I'm not as good as social media as I should be. I still post the odd workout and stuff on there, but I'll get as much on there over the next sort of. Uh, three to six months and, and, and maybe beyond. So it'd be great to catch up with you again. And yeah, oh, great. Thank you for having me, uh, having me on the show. Excellent. Kevin, thanks a lot. Have a good day. I'm with you a too. I'm with a bed now. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, I don't blame you. Kevin is an absolutely amazing athlete. Imagine running the fastest marathon time ever. I really hope he gains his well-earned place in Tokyo. He most definitely deserves it. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I really enjoyed the chat. It'll be great to catch up again at the end of the year. Really, fingers crossed that the coronavirus doesn't cancel any more races. Definitely doesn't impact Tokyo. It'd be an absolute disaster for everybody who's put the effort in. Thank you to everybody who's been following the podcast. It's been absolutely amazing. 101 episodes just blows my absolute mind. Until next week, stay safe and keep on moving.